Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. Uh, we are going to be kind of doing a survey of the book of Romans this morning. And as you do, um, we are starting a brand new series. It's going to be a three-week series, nice and short. Following this, we're going to do a longer series on marriage and family. Very excited about that. But I'm very, very excited about this sermon series um, called Gospel Fluency. And this sermon series is built around two questions. And I want to ask those questions this morning, even to begin our time. And when I ask these questions, this is not meant to be a rhetorical question. This, these two questions is not meant for me to ask and you to sit back and go, okay, maybe someone else will answer this. I, I really want you to think about this question and see and try to answer it in maybe one or two sentences. Because this whole series is framed around these questions. And and might I add, there might not be more significant questions to be answered than these two right here. Massive implications to these questions. So, So here's my first question to you, not a rhetorical question, for you to answer. I wouldn't recommend you spouting it out loud. That could get weird. Um, But maybe just in your head, maybe even write it down, one or two sentences. And let me frame up this first question with a little bit of context, whether whether it being a question simply from me. Here's how I want to put it. Imagine you have a neighbor. Your neighbor knows that you go to church or knows that you, you know, call yourself a Christian or something along those lines. and, And they come to you. And they say, hey, um, I, I know that you believe certain things about God. I know that you believe certain things about Jesus. But I have a question for you. What is the gospel? Not a rhetorical question. What would you say? What would be your answer? One, maybe two sentences. The gospel is... And, and, and you jumped in and answered it. I asked this question um, because here's one of the things I've found specifically in the past few years because I've just been paying more attention to this is that most Christians, not, not some, but literally most Christians, they, they, don't, they, they can't give an answer to this. Uh, the last two people I asked this question, um, they both have made proclamations of faith. They both grew up in Christian families, two separate people, two separate contexts. They both grew up going to church. Um, and I asked them this question. It came up and uh, I said, well, tell me, what is the gospel? And, and they just looked at me and said, I, I don't know. And... And what's interesting is my guess is if I would ask Christians, do you believe in the gospel? Yeah. What is the gospel? I don't know. You laugh because it might be you. You might be going, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I can clearly articulate the gospel in one or two sentences. Here's the next question. I believe just as significant. So, so maybe some of you, you know that first answer to that question. Okay, I know, Zach, I got, I got this. All right, I know what the gospel is. The gospel is And you would say it very clearly, very concisely. So here's my next question. I think very, very significant. And here it is. And maybe your neighbor asked you this one too. What does it look like to live the gospel in, in the everyday things of life. You ever thought about that? 
What does it look like to live out the gospel as a husband to a wife, as a wife to a husband? What does it look like to live out the gospel when you get that paycheck every two weeks, or maybe it's once a month, or maybe it's every other week, or every week, or whatever it might be? What, it, what, what does it look like to live out the gospel in your finances? What does it look like to live out the gospel in your parenting? What does it look like to live out the gospel when fear, or stress, or worry, or anger enters into your life? What does it look like to live out the gospel when you are so mad and ticked off and rightfully so. What does it look like to live out the gospel when you're just cranky? Anybody? Ever been cranky? Today? Yeah, someone on our setup team. I was like, how are you doing? He's like, I'm cranky today. He's in here. This one, I said, you need the gospel. But we do. And, and he, this is just my experience. And, and maybe this is not you, and, and you're, you're like, I don't need this sermon series. I don't need to come for the next three weeks. In fact, my marriage and family is perfect too, so I can take off. You know, I'll be back in November. How's that sound? But, but one of the things I've literally found is that most Christians cannot clearly articulate the gospel. And if you can't clearly articulate the gospel, you have no idea how to live out what you actually believe in the everyday stuff of life. And so here's my aim this morning. My aim this morning is to look at Scripture and come to a very clear articulation of the gospel. And, and you've got sermon notes. So, so listen, you can get the answer to the first question and, and, and you're there. So when you're ready, when that, you're ready when your neighbor asks you, what is the gospel? And hopefully you won't go, hold on, I got to go find my sermon notes somewhere in my Bible buried. Because, um, of course, you brought your Bible to church and you put your sermon notes in there. Um, but, but maybe you have this memorized. And so I want, us to give, I want to give a clear articulation of the gospel. And then the next two weeks, one of the things we need to understand is the gospel is not something we just simply believe in. Okay, we get to go to heaven. The gospel is meant to change our lives right here, right now. And one of the sad things I see over and over again is how many people believe the gospel, but their lives look nothing like it. Their marriage looks nothing like it. They believe that in the gospel, God is in control, but they're freaking out about this little scenario in their life. And you've got to go over there and go, okay, you believe that God's in control, but yet you're freaking out, clearly not living the gospel. And so the next following two, two weeks, we're going to look, like, look at what does it look like for us to live this? And so this morning... Let's try and aim at a clear articulation of this. And my goal is even goes a little bit further than, than a clear articulation, and we'll get there. But I want to start with a summary statement of the gospel. Now, this summary statement, I do not, I do not believe it, it, it. Within it, you will find the whole weight and wonder of the gospel. It's just meant to be a summary statement, hopefully to lead us to a place of feeling the weight and the wonder of the gospel. I want to give you this summary statement, and the summary statement goes like this. This is not my own. Uh, a pastor named Tim Keller, if you've ever seen any of his books, buy them all or rent them from the library and read them um, because whatever Someone once told me this. Whatever Tim Keller writes about, it typically ends up being the best book in that genre. His book on prayer, his book on marriage, incredible. Um, so he has this summary statement 
that I have found particularly helpful of what the gospel is. And he says this, the gospel is that we, so we're talking about you and I, this involves you. The gospel is that you and I, that we are more flawed and more sinful than we could ever imagine. Feel encouraged yet? The gospel is that you and I, that we are more flawed, more sinful than we could ever imagine, yet... Now, there is a statement that comes after this. There is a statement that follows this that rescues us and redeems us from this first statement. Because um, if you look up the word gospel in in the dictionary, what you will find is its literal translation is good news. But when you read this first statement, the gospel is that we are more flawed, more sinful than we could ever imagine. So however bad you think you are, get this, however bad your spouse thinks you are, you're way worse than that. What's the good news in that? Now there's a statement that rescues us from this very bad news. But I want to do something um, that I'm not sure a lot of preachers do, and they they don't do it, I think, for very good reason is I want us to spend the majority of our time just marinating in this reality that you are so much worse than you think. You are so bad. And the reason why I want to do that is because I really believe, this is just one man's opinion, I believe the biggest reason why people do not know how to clearly articulate the gospel is because they've never clearly felt the wonder and the delight and the desperate need of the gospel that they need to have. They don't understand how bad they are. We don't understand how bad we are. If we don't get the bad news, we'll never feel the weight of the good news. And and I feel like I have some permission to spend quite a bit of time talking about how horrible we are and how horrible our sin is. Because when you look at scripture, that's what the Apostle Paul does. Look at what he does here. It's, It's interesting how the book of Romans plays out. And and maybe one day we'll do a sermon series on the book of Romans. We haven't yet because I know it would take us like three years, maybe four years to get through because it's just so rich. Um, But in verse 16, Paul gives us a summary statement of the gospel. In Romans 1, 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, he's speaking of the gospel, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Greek, that would be probably every single one of us in here, the non-Jews. The gospel is for every race. For in it, speaking of the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God. You better circle that one. That's a big phrase. The righteousness of God is revealed. That word revealed literally means it's poured out. It's, it's given 
It is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the Apostle Paul gives this summary statement of the gospel. That in the gospel, we see the power of God giving us salvation for those of us who believe. And not only do we get salvation, but God gives us his righteousness. And then verse 18, Paul makes a dramatic shift. Now, I'm going to read one verse, but what he starts to say in verse 18, he keeps on going for nearly three chapters. And you know what he does for three chapters? He talks about how horrible we are and how horrible our sin is. He spends two verses giving us a summary statement of the gospel. And then he starts out by saying this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's speaking of sin here. And so what Paul does for the next three chapters and then intermittently for the next eight chapters is he just keeps plugging away how sinful we are, how bad our sin is, and what our sin deserves is the wrath of God. Why does he do this? Come on, bro. Just give us the good news. Just tell me the gospel in in those verses, and then you can end the book. He doesn't do that. He spends three chapters going, nobody's righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And just left and right, he draws us in to our sin And the weight of it. Why? Because if we don't feel the weight of our sin, how do we feel the weight of His grace? If we don't feel the weight of how bad we need the gospel, how will we ever feel the weight of the gospel? And so here's my prayer this morning. I, I, my hope is that we would have a clear articulation of the gospel. But friends, I do not believe that will do anything unless we feel the weight of it. I feel like it would be a failure if all we have is a head knowledge of the gospel and not a weighty, heartfelt awe and wonder of the gospel. And so I want to just start our time asking God to do that. And and maybe giving you an opportunity to ask God to do that in, in, in these next few moments. God, help me to be overwhelmed and in wonder of what I have in the gospel. And so, Father, we give you this time. And it is not a dangerous thing to talk about how horrible we are. Because however high the deck deck stacks against us, We can, as Hebrews 4 says, come to you, Christ, and every single time we will find grace. So, Father, would you, by your power, allow us to feel the wonder and the weight of the gospel. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, I invite you just to pray that prayer. God, would you allow me to feel, to actually emotionally experience 
what I have in the gospel. Would you just pray that just to your, in your heart? Father, we give this time to you. Please let us feel what you've done for us. In your name, amen. So the way that Paul wants us to not just have a head knowledge of the gospel, but actually feel the weight of the gospel, is he doesn't start with sin. He starts with what our sin deserves. See, if, if someone asks you, why do I even need the gospel? Most of us would answer, well, each and every one of us has sinned. Paul will do that. He'll go, hey, you need the gospel because you've sinned. But here's the deal. Let's talk about your sin. Let's talk about how weighty it is. Here's how weighty it is. The wrath of God is revealed. It's being poured out. The tense is not past tense. It's not future tense. The wrath of God is continually, in the Greek, it's continually being poured out from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Um, just, just help here. That's you and I. We're all sinners. By nature, we are all broken. We are all unrighteous. We are all ungodly. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And he says, hey, the wrath of God's coming for you. All around you. And I want us to ask this question. Because I think it's, it's, it's the question Paul is trying to lead us into. And the question is this. What is the wrath, this specific wrath of God that's being poured out? What, what's its what is this specific wrath? Because I think we can think about wrath in two ways. And we particularly think about um, the wrath of God as the, the ultimate wrath of God. When we talk about the wrath of God, we go, oh, the, the, the wrath of God is the ultimate wrath of God where if someone does not know Christ, they will spend eternity in hell. By the way, Matthew 25 says, God created hell for Satan and his demons, not for humanity. It's not as if God's going, well, I'm going to create this for all those people who reject me. No, 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 no. He creates it for Satan and demons. And yet there's this ultimate wrath where God says, you, you rejected me. You did not trust in me. You will experience the wrath of God by eternity and separation from God, not in heaven, but in hell. So we often think about wrath of God that way. That's not the way that Paul is drawing us to. He's talking about a wrath that when we look around, we see it everywhere. And we have this problem. We have this problem. We have this fear, I think. I'm, I'm making this up. But I think we have this fear that we have to protect God. We have to make sure that when people look to God, all they see is love, grace, mercy, and, and, and sunshine. But... God does not always respond to the unrighteous and the ungodly with sunshine. That when we look around, we do see the wrath of God poured out. And the wrath of God is poured out because of our sin. And the wrath of God is being poured out as a red warning flag being waved, saying, my, here's my, this is just a picture of my wrath. It's just a glimpse. See it and turn to the gospel. See it and know that's, that's the weight of your sin. 
And so I want to point out three ways in which we see the wrath of God in Romans. There's more, but I want to point out three. And my hope for these three is that you have personally felt the weight of this wrath. And it probably sparked some emotion. And my hope is that emotion that was probably hurt, pain, suffering, agony, misery, can now be a reminder of that's what your sin deserves. But in the gospel, we're rescued from that. So, so what is this wrath that God is currently pouring out, even right now, is a warning against our sin and our need for Him. The first one we see in Romans 5. In Romans 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, so one man's trespass, that equals sin. What has sin brought? Death. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Judgment, condemnation, other words for wrath. What God is saying is, hey, death, you ever been to a funeral? Whether it was a believer or not a believer, it's a picture of God's wrath. You ever go to a funeral? It's typically not too chipper. There is a weight you begin to feel of how fragile you are, right? If you let your mind go there, you will find yourself realizing someday it's going to be me. And God is waving this red flag. You ever been to a beach before and they got those red flags everywhere? Why are they there? Don't go in the water. Because if you do, there's this current that will pull you out and absolutely destroy you. God is putting this red flag on the beach going, hey, that's a picture. That is a glimpse of my wrath. That we are all going to die. And the only way to be saved is through the gospel. And this wrath has come. It says, at least according to Romans 5 here, it's come because of sin. Now this next one is particularly a little difficult for us. In fact, unfortunately, there are some who name the name of Christ and don't believe this. But uh, again, guys, not me, the Bible. So I'm just going to put it out there. You be the judge. In Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, that's you and I, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God For the creation, that's you and I, listen to this very, very carefully. The creation was subjected to futility, 
not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So we've got two very important questions that we need to answer here. The first one is this. What what is this futility being spoken of here? Secondly, it says that there's someone who is subjecting us to this futility. But the reason why they're subjecting us to this futility is in hope. So what is this futility? This futility is this reality that you and I, we, we, we put our best foot forward, we do everything in our ability, in our, in our, our power, and then misery and suffering can follow. So, the hurricane's coming, you board up the house, do everything, your power, your ability to protect the house, hurricane comes, flattens it, destroys it. You realize we don't have flood insurance, but I did everything possible. What else could I have done? And then there's the pain and the misery and the burdens that come with that. That's futility. Now, we live in the Northwest. That didn't get too personal there. You want to have kids. This is where where things get dicey for some believers. You want to have kids. The day comes. You get pregnant. Praise the Lord. Praying for a safe baby. Healthy baby. And about 10 weeks in, or maybe it's 20 weeks in. Maybe it's like my sister-in-law, who six months in. Maybe it's like my sister, about 10, mo- 10 weeks in, not 10 months. Or maybe it's like my cousin. It's, it's 50 minutes after the actual birth of the child, and you find that the child has died. You did the doctor appointments. You prayed all the right prayers. God, give us health. And then there's miscarriage. And then for some, it's miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. That's futility. Or it's getting the phone call. And some of you will get this phone call. And the doctor says, it's cancer. You might want to come in. And they tell you, you have a year left to live like my grandmother. Or even worse, they tell you it's your spouse who has cancer. Or your child has cancer. You had the right diet? Futility. 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 We can't deny this. We, we, we've all experienced this, right? Or it is coming for you. At least it says... The sufferings are coming. It says that creation has been subjected to this. Now we have to ask a very important question. The whole book of Job is about this. My favorite book to preach on personally. The whole book of Job is about this. Who subjected the futility? So we got three, three answers. Possible. Well, it's, it's got to be the sin of man, right? We live in a broken world, it's so it's, it's sin. Doggone Adam and Eve. 
I wouldn't have eaten the apple. It wasn't even an apple. It was fruit. It's not even covered in caramel. It's just like, come on. You sinned for a banana? But it says it was subjected in hope. There's no hope in sin. The next one, and this is the one that most, well, not most, but a lot of Christians will jump on or they'll look at the book of Job and go, no, 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 Satan did it. Satan subjected creation to futility. It's Satan's fault that you got cancer. It's Satan's fault that Hurricane Irma came through or Harvey or, or Katrina. It's Satan, 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 Satan. But the creation is subjected in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Does that sound like Satan? I'm going to subject them to futility so that they will have the hope of giving their lives to Christ. No. Or it's God. Or it's God. Who in His sovereignty subjects you and I to the futilities of this world. Friends, it's a parable. Cancer is a parable. The earthquake, the hurricanes... Parable, parable, parable. It is a red flag. God going, hey, snapshot of my wrath. So that we may feel the weight of it. Now, there are two really, really massive questions that you should, maybe not, but might be running to at this point. Questions that would start with, but, 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 but. But what about, we'll get there. This, this is, we're, we are in the deeps of the ocean drowning so that we can feel the weight and the wonder of that rescue ring thrown to us and we can grab it. We'll get to the rescue ring. Paul wants us to feel the weight of going, but this is, this is what we deserve. The third one is slavery to sin. Back to chapter 1, a continuation of Paul's thought in verse 18. He says in verse 28, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, so he's speaking about sin, and he's talking about how people, the greatest sin is that we have exchanged God, the Creator, for His creation. Instead of going, I want God, I want to make much of God, we go, I want money, I want to make much of money. It's called idolatry. And it's money, it's lust, it's pride, it's arrogance. And he says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Malice is is the desire to do evil. And then the list just keeps on going and going and going. And, And some of you have experienced this in your life. It is a picture. It is a parable. It is the red flag of God's wrath as a warning for us. And what he does is he says, okay, you want to give yourself over to lust? I will give you a debased mind. Or that lust will rule your life and ruin your marriage. Okay, you want to give yourself over to the love of money? I will let that passion rule your life and ruin your life. You ever been in that place where you just, the sin, you could not break it. It is a parable of the wrath that we deserve. Now there's two magnificent questions that if we didn't answer, oh dear goodness. The first question is this. Is this the only way God responds? Is this the only way that God responds to our sin, to our unrighteousness? Wrath, 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 wrath. Ephesians 2. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy. But God being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which He loved us. You want to know how much God loves you? Marinate in His wrath for a moment. And then look at verse 5 where it says, But God in His mercy. Because He had such a great love for us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead, it's not as if we cleaned ourselves up and Jesus said, okay, now I'll die for you. He says, no, 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 you still got your back turned to me. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, you made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No, no, no. Wrath is not the only way God responds to our sin. He responds with a lavishing grace. That's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because in it, the power of God breaks through my sin, breaks through the wrath I deserve. And God, in His love, puts His Son on the cross to take the wrath that I deserve. And He's given me this salvation. And not only has He given me this salvation, He's given you and I a righteousness 
literally, 2 Corinthians 5, that he has given us the righteousness of Christ. God warns us with his wrath, but he woos us with his grace. He woos us with his gospel of grace. And then there's this last question that maybe you've been drawing to. Every single picture of wrath I gave, you've experienced. Now, you may not have experienced the death, but you've probably experienced the death of a loved one. It may not be cancer, but maybe it's miscarriage. Or maybe it will be cancer. Or whatever the, the, the futile misery and suffering that comes, we've all experienced it. We all will experience it. The slavery to sin. And so as a Christian, you might be asking, wait, does anything change if I have the gospel? Because everything you just said, that stuff, it's happening. It's all around me. Is God, is he still giving me his wrath? Is God like trying to like, you know, really show me his wrath? Does anything change now that I have the gospel? Everything changes. Paul says in second, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Death, where is your victory? It's for the Christian. It's for those who, who have believed in the gospel. Death, oh, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? There is none. Like, I desire for God to have me here because I believe that there are some needs around me that God wants me to be a part of meeting. And hopefully you believe the same thing. But I'm going to be real with you. When the day comes, I'm not going to sit there shaking in my boots. I'm going to sit there quoting scripture going, I get to go to heaven. This death is not wrath for the believer. Death is entry into eternity in heaven, which is going to be far better than anything we could have here on earth. But how about the futility of misery and suffering? How do things change if I have the gospel and I get cancer? I've got the gospel and the miscarriage keeps on happening. I've got the gospel and my marriage is falling apart. I've got the gospel and this and this and this and the, and the futility of misery and suffering it just keeps on coming. What's the gospel do? Romans 8, 28, by the coffee cup that this verse is on, I do not joke, because this will be ballast for your boat when the storm comes and will keep you afloat. We read Romans 8 where we talked about the futility of suffering. And then, a few verses later, it says, And we know that for those, so this is for a those, this is not for everyone, for those who love God, all things, the cancer, the miscarriage, 
the divorce papers. All of it. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. This is why we need the gospel, friends. The gospel is not simply your ticket to heaven. You never, ever, 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 ever outgrow your need for the gospel. Ever. You're going to need it this week. So badly. To be reminded, no, 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 no. God's going to use this for good. I've got, I've got the gospel, the promises of the gospel. And then how about slavery to sin? For those who are fighting sin, whether it's lust, maybe it's the love of money. Philippians is a particular precious verse to me. Philippians 3, Paul says, But whatever I gain, I had. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You are a slave to sin because you've bought into the idea that sin is better. That's why you sin. You know there's consequences. You do it because it's going to feel good. It's going to be nice. It's going to be fun. You know what you have in the gospel? You have a greater treasure. You know what you have in the gospel? You've got the promises of the gospel. You have Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, what a savior. What a brother. What a friend. Have that in the gospel. Jesus is your friend so much better than lust. You are no longer a slave to sin, to fear, because you have the gospel which is better. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that we are more flawed, more sinful than we could ever imagine. Yet at the very same moment, At the very same moment when you're cranky, when you're angry, when you're bitter, when you're mad, when you're jealous, when you're lusting, when you're looking at pornography, when you're saying unsavory words to your spouse, when you're blowing it again with your kids, yet at the very same moment, you are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than you could ever dare hope. That's the gospel. The gospel is that we are more flawed and sinful than we could ever imagine, yet at the very same moment, we are more loved and more accepted in Christ than we could have ever dared hope. And I long for us To not just memorize that statement, but to bathe in that statement this week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gospel. Overwhelm us with the gospel. Move us.
with the gospel. May we never lose our wonder of what you've done for us. Fathers, we close in this last song. May it be our response to the gospel. May there be hands raised, God, that we not be fearful of tears streaming down our face because of what we have in you, Jesus. Fathers, we take offering. It is our way of just saying our first fruits are yours. Father, move us towards you in these last few moments of this service. And we pray all these things and everyone said, amen.